and I think it's uh, wonderful. Uh, so I want to sort of say that at the beginning of our time. Let's read through the chapter. It's a long one, so bear with me, and then we'll we'll jump in. Uh, sometimes parts of this we get kind of stuck on, so I'm going to do my best to to not get stuck on some of them. Uh, a couple of the stories are very familiar. We've gone over them as we've gone through the previous Gospels. So um, uh, what the question I'm asking is, what is John wanting to communicate to us as John's telling the stories to us, right? We've looked at them from other perspectives, some from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So now the question is, uh, what is it that the Lord is saying through uh, through John? And what is what is the focus of what John is bringing out to us? Okay, so... Uh, let's begin reading in chapter 6, verse 1, and then we will um, <clears throat> uh, sort of uh, break it down one verse at a time, or maybe a couple verses at a time. It's 71 verses, so there's that. <laughs> All right. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, the the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said, Test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people saw, um, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people saw therefore or when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea they said to him Rabbi when did you come here? Jesus answered and said to them most assuredly I say to you you seek me not because you saw the signs but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. 
Don't labor for the bread which for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who, he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have, you have seen me and yet don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Don't murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. <laughs> who, who can understand it? 
<laughs> when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Alrighty then, let's pray. <laughs> Father, there's a lot here. I'm thankful that it isn't my job to speak to everyone's heart. I'm thankful that the glory of the new covenant is that you write your will, your law, in our hearts and our minds. So as we spend this time meditating on your word, I'm asking that you would do the thing that only you can. Because it can't be my cleverness. It can't be my ability to speak or my hype. What we need is real. And what we need is you. So my Father, once more I pray, take the sword of your spirit. And do that work in us that only you can. That we would be uh, vessels of grace. Useful in your hands. To glorify you and to enjoy you forever. Oh Lord, would you speak, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Guys, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the things I noted as I was going through this was the similarities between this section of uh, what's happening in the life and ministry of Jesus and uh, the nation of Israel as they traveled through the desert. Remember, they referenced several times in this section. There's references to the manna that came down from heaven, right? So that was something that God used to take care of the nation of Israel for 40 years um, until they were going into, uh, until they were crossing the Jordan, really, into the promised land. So, um we're going to see that reference as we read a couple of times here. So uh, it's interesting, though, that Jesus mentions the signs. Uh, he had done several signs. Uh, he, there's one here at the beginning, this feeding of the 5,000. Uh, we'll see that one. And um, 
they were also signs that the nation of Israel saw. Many signs, right? When they came out of Egypt, they saw the signs of the plagues. Do you remember the story of the 10 plagues in Egypt and all of that? The final one being uh, that death angel who went through and the death of the firstborn as, uh, of, of every living thing in Egypt. And then finally they're allowed to go. Uh, and then uh, God protects them. Um, with this incredible like pillar of fire, and then uh, he parts the Red Sea. They're able to go through on dry land, right? Which is itself unfathomable. The parting of the Red Sea is right, but then the dry land part always gets me. It's like not only did God part the sea, but then the land they went through on was somehow also dry, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and it happened over the course of of a night, right? This incredible um, group of people marching through, and that's a it's a giant it has to be a giant area, a big swath of of, uh, of area, because there were six hundred thousand fighting men who were twenty years old and older. That doesn't count any of the women or children. Like we're talking about an enormous group of people there, right? And then somehow when the um, the Egyptian armies try to go through that same area. Their uh, chariot wheels get stuck in the mud, right? And and then the floodwaters come back, or the the waters rather come back down on them, and uh, and and destroy uh, some of the Egyptian army uh, at that time. So, uh, and not only that, then you see Moses uh, speaking to the rock and water coming out of the rock. You see them complaining about having to eat manna all the time, which was this. Uh, I, I think of it in my mind almost like a, a fungus that was on top of the. It was on the dew on the ground every morning. Uh, and they would take this stuff. It was like white, like coriander seed. And, and um, they would take it and they make a sort of a powdery stuff and make it into stuff. They could bake it into stuff. So it was almost like a, a wheat type of thing. Um, but whatever it was, it was this superfood that God used to sustain them for 40 years, right? And uh, they got tired of it because can you imagine eating the same stuff for like every day for a week or a month? Or a year, uh, there are some cultures where that still happens um, because there isn't much to eat. So they just have to eat the same thing all the time, right? They grow one crop and they just stick with that and that's their sustenance in some communities, but uh, for the most part. Anyhow, so they got they got tired of it as you and I certainly would have after like a week if we even lasted that long, like tacos again, <laughs> you know, like, sorry, sorry uh, banana bread again, <laughs> okay. banana bread, you get, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, they got tired of it and they complained and God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get, they said, we want some meat, right? Cause we want meat to eat. And God's like, well, okay, I'm going to give you some quail then. Not just a little bit of quail. You're going to eat quail for a month until it comes out of your nostrils. <laughs> I love it. God's like, you want some meat? Here's some meat for you. And he sent this these flocks of quail to them. And, and it literally says they were um, uh, like about three feet or so, about a cubit off the ground. They like hovered off the ground, like flying. Everybody could take like a bat and like <laughs> beat a quail. you know. And uh, <laughs> they just kept eating and eating. And of course, this brought a plague on them because because of their their complaining against the Lord and of their their lust for uh, for meat, and uh, and many of them died among other things, right? But uh, later on, uh, God also provided again for them water out of a rock. Uh, this time, God told them Moses and Aaron to speak to it. They get mad, and and Moses gets mad, and he strikes the rock and. Uh, this becomes an issue where uh, Moses and Aaron are now not allowed to go into the promised land because of their misrepresentation of the Lord. Um, 
among other things. And so uh, it's just these incredible things. Here's what I want to point out. These are all incredible signs, right? Even after the parting of the Red Sea, after they go and they're, they're delivered from the Egyptian armies, they get, finally they get to Mount Sinai, right? And God says, put a marker around it. Don't let anybody go to the mountain. If anybody, even if an animal passes through that barrier around the bottom of the mountain, you need to shoot him with an arrow or stone him with stones. Nobody can come close to me. That's the idea. God said, I will be hallowed. I will be separate in your minds. Nobody will come close to me. Nothing will come close to me except Moses. <laughs> Moses goes up onto the mountain, right? And meets with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And then what happens? They're like, where's this Moses? They talk to Aaron. They're like Moses' brother, Aaron. That's, Aaron is Moses' older brother. He becomes the high priest eventually. And they're like, Aaron, we don't know what happened to this Mo guy. Um, so make us some gods to worship. <laughs> right? I'm sure they were probably very familiar with idol worship because of their time as slaves in Egypt. They were in, their families had been there for 400 years. Keep in mind how long 400 years is. America has only been a country, the United States of America has only been a country for uh, 230-ish years, right? So, uh, right? So 400 years to what to almost 250 now right yeah okay so <laughs> 1776 <laughs> okay so um uh <laughs> so 400 years of history living in Egypt. Now, at first, they weren't slaves, right? But over time, different leaders come into power, and they eventually uh, become slaves. Um, there was this, uh, because of the famine that had happened earlier on, everybody had to sell all of their land. So basically, the economic system was run by Pharaoh, and all the land was owned by Pharaoh. Um, uh, so it was communism. Anyway, anyways, won't go there. <laughs> uh, uh, so they become slaves. Now they're coming out, uh, even even at that early stage, they're like, they see all these signs, all these things that, that God did to, and, and as we get into those stories when we get there, one of the things that I hope to bring out is that a lot of the plagues were actually directly, directly uh, given to contradict, to go against the gods of Egypt that were worshipped in Egypt, right? A lot of them were very directly as slap in the face to the gods that they that they worshipped. And uh, every time the magicians in Egypt tried to show their power, all they did was make the plagues worse. They never took anything away. They like showed through some of the plagues that they were able to replicate them, right? Uh, but they never actually did anything that was helpful. Anyhow, all of these signs they see, frequently in Jesus' ministry, we see him um, lamenting this idea of signs. And, and, and I want to, I feel like I'm treading on a little bit of, you know, scary place here, but I, I want to be careful with the way that we handle what we think of as signs in our lives as followers of Jesus. Um, whatever the sign is that we think that we're following after, I want you to be careful with it because... Um, because Habakkuk reminds us, the Lord reminds us through the prophet Habakkuk, that the just shall live by his faith. And faith is, is, is confidence in the Lord, is trust in him, right? Uh, regardless of what things might look like at any particular time. And the difficulty with it is that we're frequently trying to decide or to judge whether or not our decisions or whether or not what's happening in our lives is good or bad or whether or not it's from the Lord or of the Lord based on uh, signs, based on whether or not we view it as a good thing, right? Um, 
one of the other things I'm a, I just think of the way our body chemistry works. Think of the way that that um, epinephrine or norepinephrine or serotonin or dopamine work in our bodies, creating uh, senses of euphoria at certain events or at certain times. A lot of that's based just on our belief. We believe a certain thing is exciting or good or wonderful, and we have a feeling about it. And then that feeling, we say, oh, well, that's God or that's a spiritual thing. Is it really? Because much of the world experiences the same things just at, at their concerts. Because they're, they're the response of their belief of, about the moment that's happening. They believe it's a good moment. And their body responds to that belief, that excitement, that hype by producing in them dopamine. right? And so they feel euphoric. The difficulty is that for you and I as followers of Jesus, we look at the same thing and we say, well, this is a sign from the Lord, this feeling I have. Are we sure? Do we know? The reason why I'm bringing it up is that I'm becoming more and more convinced that I just don't know. <laughs> and, and more open to the reality that God just wants me to trust him, whether or not I feel excitement about anything. Whether or not I... I, I and it's hard because I sometimes in ministry and church things, it's like sometimes pastors want to be like the hypest people in the world. <laughs> you know, they kind of... And some of that, for me, just isn't really my personality, you know. Um, but I'm also, I, I feel like, and maybe this is just my experience, I've, I've walked in places where people are just hurting, you know, and sometimes it's hard to be excited. I've, I've walked together with people who struggled with addiction and, and drunkenness, and they want to do well, and they keep failing, and you counsel and you counsel and you go and you, you spend time with them and you sit and you look them in the face and you say, pour it all out right now. If you really want this, just get rid of all of it. And you sit there and you talk and you pray and then you get a, a call back, you know, a month later and they say, I'm drunk again. I say, okay, well, how can we love you? <laughs> how can we serve? What can we do? How can we help? Um, It doesn't take me long reading news stories and flashes to remember that the world is broken and messed up. And and the difficulty I have sometimes with Christian ministry is that sometimes we want to act like it's not by trying to hype people up with some false sense of excitement that's probably more rooted in serotonin or dopamine or norepinephrine responses in our body than it is in truth. Um, Our brains are very powerful. (laughs) What does that have to do with what we're reading today? Signs. (laughs) That's what it has to do with. Am I following after signs or am I just following Jesus? Am I following him because he gave me food to eat? Or am I following him because he's the Messiah, whether or not he gives me food? 
Jesus is going to give them a hard teaching. And one of the worst parts to me in the Gospel of John is the response to the hard teaching of Jesus. The response isn't really, this is a hard teaching, but we're going to keep following you, Lord, not from the crowd. The crowd is, the majority of the people is, this is a hard teaching. And then many of his disciples turned back and didn't follow him anymore. Let's look at it real quickly here. Real quickly, you've already wasted half your time, I know. <clears throat> After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. That lake in northern Israel has several names. Um, <laughs> um, Gennesaret, Tiberias, uh, the Sea of Galilee, among others. So, uh, verse 2, then a great multitude followed him. Because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. So because they saw many of the miracles Jesus did, it says large multitudes of people are now following him. A great multitude of people. Verse 3, and Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. So Jesus now sits with the boys. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? He sees all the crowds now coming toward him and he looks at at. Um, poor Phil. <laughs> and he's like, hey, Philip, where can we buy food that everybody can eat? And Philip's like, uh, 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 you know. Hey, a couple of reminders. Sometimes as you serve the Lord, the Lord is going to ask you questions that you're like, what? You mean I need to deal with this? I need to provide this? I need to, Lord, how? What? When? Where? What? Huh? Um, keep in mind that he is, he knows what he's going to do. That's what's going to, that's what it says here. Where shall we, we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said, verse six, this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus was like, he already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. So 200 denarii, uh, let's think of it in the context of one of Jesus' parables where he agrees to pay uh, day laborers a denarius, one denarius for a day's wage. And they agree to that as a, as an, a reasonable amount of, of compensation. So let's, let's take that as an, our assumption for what the value of a denarius is about a day's wage. So 200 denarii is about 200 days wages. You might say three quarters uh, of the year, uh, four fifths of the year, maybe of working, right? So it's a lot of money, right? <laughs> that we're talking about. Um, uh, um, that's what Philip's response is: two hundred narii worth of bread isn't sufficient for them. That every one of them may have a little, may have a little, right? A little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, "There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Uh, but what are they among so many?" <laughs> it's such a setup. <laughs> I love the way John John's like telling the story. He's like, because John was there, and John's like, this is this incredible thing, right? And this Andrew comes in, and, and there, he's like, there's this kid here who has uh, who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but like, how's it going to help us? We have five thousand men, not to mention the women and children who are here. You know, like, what's what's this good? Is this going to do? Frequently, that is what we think about our resources as it relates to the needs of the world, though, isn't it? Or maybe the needs of ministry in our own family, in our own lives, or the, the, uh, the family around us, or our friends, or others. We think of the great needs, the spiritual needs, or maybe even physical needs of the people around us. And we say, Lord, we, I feel like we have so, so little sometimes. What, what is that among so, so much need in our community? And I think maybe the Lord would rebuke me a bit and say, Jason, it's not about you or about how much you think you have. That's hard for me to hear because <laughs> uh, I think that uh, um, 
well, in one sense, maybe we all just want to be able to trust what we can see. And so this calls me back to faith. Lord, I've got to be a, a man who trusts you even when I don't see how things are going to work out. And that's hard to walk by faith. So they have five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. I think it's interesting when we get to the book of Numbers, and I encourage you, uh, if you have time this week, you have time, you're all off work. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm dumb. Um, um, so I would encourage you to read through the book of Numbers <laughs> or download an audio version of it and listen to it. Uh, I've had the joy of being on the road again a little bit recently, so I've been able to listen to, in the past week and a half, I've been able to go through um, all of the New Testament letters and uh, the Torah and uh, all the way up until I'm in Second Kings now. Um, because as I'm driving, I've just been listening to, to the scriptures. And man, it's been like life-giving. <laughs> Wonderful, just to be to be soaking in the scriptures in, in huge chunks like that. I don't get to do that all the time, so I'm grateful for for these opportunities again because I've been driving to like Pensacola and stuff, so it's like three hours. I just get to listen. Oh, also the audio that I play, I have an audio Bible and I play it on um, like 1.7 speed, so it's like <laughs> it's like it's not quite twice the regular speed of the reading, but it's pretty close. So it's it's a pretty good clip. <laughs> so, so it, it uh, helps, helps kind of uh, to go through it and, and I get to think about it and stuff. So um, anyways, I, I do encourage you guys to, to be spending time in the word, particularly as it relates to this part of the text though. Uh, we see Israel, um, we see them numbered and organized into their groups, into their different tribes. We see them, uh, the way that their camp is supposed to be set up. We see it organized very specifically how their camp is to be set up. And I think it's interesting that in this beginning of this section here, um, John reminds us or tells us that Jesus organized this crowd of 5,000 men. He told them exactly how he wanted them arranged and to sit down. I think it's an interesting thing because the other parallels to the Exodus uh, events and the time in the wilderness, I think, are interesting uh, that uh, John's going to bring out as well. So uh, there's a very interesting parallel between the events there and the events here. So. Uh, anyway, so he said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000 and Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. You see that that pattern Jesus gives to those serving, to those following him, and then they then deliver it to the people. And I think this is a, a normal thing. If you want to be used in the lives of the people around you, you better be receiving from Jesus, right? So that you might have something that you would be sharing with others that is from the Lord. The only way to do that is for me to spend time with him, time uh, hearing from him, time um, dwelling, living, uh, abiding in his presence as I spend time in the scriptures. I do that and then I have something that I, uh, with which I may give uh, to others in a, in a spiritual sense, of course. Uh, I think it's also helpful for me to remember that all the physical things I have, they all came from the Lord too. All the money I have, all the stuff I own, it all came from the Lord. And he wants me to share, right? He wants me to share it, right? So uh, all of that uh, came from the Lord. So he wants me to share. Um, and then we see that pattern here. 
um, Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. I love that. Because they're like, Philip is like, if we spend 200 denarii, we can only get a little bit of bread for everybody. But when Jesus is, is the one handling the distribution, and he's the one in charge, he always has enough. And frankly, the, the story here is basically saying more than enough. They're going to have leftovers. He always has enough for what he's intending to do. But that's not always the difficulty for me can be that the thing I'm thinking needs to be done isn't really what he's wanting to do. <laughs> he gave them as much as they wanted. It doesn't even say as much as they needed. As I try to point out to my kids, there's a difference between what you need and what you want, children. (laughs) But I need it, Daddy. You don't need that. You want it. And that's fine that you want it. Let's just be honest about it. (laughs) Not a need. It's a want. (laughs) So... When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. I love that there's twelve baskets because there's like twelve main disciples, right? There were We know there were more disciples than that. There were twelve of the disciples who were men. Uh, there were many women who were also disciples, but they're not um, part of the twelve uh, who would become apostles later. And, of course, as we learn at the end of the chapter again, one of the twelve is also not going to become an apostle. He's going to hang himself. So there's that. Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost, as we read. Therefore, they gathered them up, twelve baskets left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the sight that Jesus did, the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Guess what that's a reference to? That's a reference to Deuteronomy, how... Um, how Uh, Moses, right before he's about to die, said, God is going to send you another prophet like me, and him you will hear. He's called the prophet several times in the New Testament writings because he is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah promised even in Moses in the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy. That's right before Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. It's right before, it's basically a long speech that Moses gives right before they are, right before he's going to die. And then Joshua is taking over for them to go into the promised land. Okay, uh, to to begin the battles uh, in uh, in uh, recorded in the book of Joshua. So uh, their response is, "This is truly the prophet who's come into the world." Why? Because he gave them bread to eat. Because he gave them food. Therefore, verse fifteen, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Oh, how much! <laughs> When again, this is part of the the scripture that I just went over in my own listening, and and in the book of Samuel, when they go to Samuel and the people are like, "Give us a king like all the other nations." Samuel's heart is broken because he's like, "No, no, God is your king. What? Why do you want to be like all the other nations? What? What? God, God is your king." And God had sent them deliverers. Uh, we call them judges, but they, they were, in a lot of ways, they did make decisions, but they were also military leaders to set the people free when they kind of gave themselves into, into captivity again um, to the people who remained in the land. But, um, but, but Samuel laments this, and God says to Samuel, he says, Samuel, don't be sad about this. They're not rejecting you. 
They're rejecting me from ruling over them by asking for a king. And then he gives them very specific things. This is what having a king is going to look like for you guys. This is what it's going to look like for your children. And they say, we want a king like all the other nations around us. And God says, okay. The first king they got started off really well and then crashed and burned. (laughs) Uh, And then God said, I'm going to pick somebody after my own heart. And he'll he'll be your king. Uh, and that's when uh, David, King David, um, would become the second king in Israel. But um, anyway, so um, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he, of course, because he's the Messiah and the king of Israel himself, descended from David, he agreed and decided to become king by force. Uh, no, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Obviously, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if this is almost like the temptations that he had faced in the wilderness with Satan, where Satan's like, you're really the son of God, prove yourself. You know? This is what Jesus is going to be. After the crucifixion, as he ascends, um, the New Testament reminds us over and over again that he's ascended to rule, to reign as king, as the sovereign king of the universe. And... Um, Frequently, there's these shortcuts that are trying to be made to that. And the shortcut always excludes the cross. The same is true for you and I. As you and I are wanting to follow Jesus, as we are entering into the things that God has prepared for us, there's no other way than for us to die to ourselves. The cross is the only way for you who follow Jesus. The cross first. Um, they wanted to make him king, so he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. (laughs) I think that's always the wisest thing to do. This is where he certainly, I'm making an assumption here, but I'm confident that he spent some time in prayer with the Father. (laughs) Now when evening came, verse 16, his disciples went down to the sea. Oh, we better speed up, huh? His disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. I love how, real, how raw and honest John is about them, about the disciples. He's like, we saw a dude walking on the water, and we was afraid. <laughs> <laughs> like that's his, his his statement about it. What we don't find here in John's record is uh, the part of the story about about uh, Peter's response and Peter saying, "Lord, if it's really you, call me out onto the water." That's recorded for us in the other gospel writings. One of the reasons why we uh, kind of make the assumption that John probably wrote after some of the other gospel writers. He, he's not looking to retell what's already been told frankly, several times. Uh, He's including details that aren't included in some of the other uh, stories um, for this very reason. So he doesn't even bring that part up because it's not really, it doesn't seem relevant to where John is going with what uh, what he's talking about here. So um, the, the issue here is that 
Jesus goes, even though he goes and he walks on the water, this confuses the people because they only see the boat that the disciples entered into and they know that no other boat went. So they're confused, but then they still want to follow Jesus. And so this is why Jesus addresses them and he says, you guys are following me just because I gave you food. And he sort of deals, begins to deal with them with this very difficult teaching that he teaches them. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they're like, what? Huh? Huh? <laughs> so Jesus um, responds when they're afraid, verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. The, the amount of times, this is one of the benefits of just reading big chunks of the scripture. The amount of times you hear Jesus say to the disciples, or you hear angels say to the people when they appear to them, don't be afraid. You're just like, Okay, Lord, help me not to be afraid. Maybe that doesn't matter to you guys because you guys are all brave, but I live in fear a lot. So hearing him remind me again and again and again to not be afraid, it's really helpful for me. I need to hear him again. (laughs) Don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. I don't know what that means. Was this some supernatural thing where they were like, Jesus is in the boat, and they're like, look, we're at the shore. <laughs> like, like I, I don't know. Or if this is like a summary of like what was happening, I, I'll let people smarter than me argue about it if they want, I guess. I don't care. On the following day, when the people, when the people who... Uh, were standing on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. Do you see how John's setting up the events that are about to take place? He's he's saying the people now are confused because they saw... Uh, they saw that there was only the one boat there that the disciples entered, but they knew that Jesus didn't enter that boat. So now they're like confused about what's going on there. So... Uh, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with, with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread before the Lord had given things. This is, I think this is John's, um, John's parenthetical note where he's like, everybody was confused about this, but like there were actually other boats that did go. <laughs> like everybody was confused about why Jesus was somehow on the other side, even though he didn't enter the boat with the disciples. John's like, there actually were other boats that came, <laughs> you know, anyways. Um, when the people therefore saw, verse 24, that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum. When the people who had just fed on the other side of the sea were like, wait a minute, where'd they all go? They got into boats and they went over to, they crossed the sea to, to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, teach when did you come here? Like, that's their question. How did you get here? Like, when, when did you come to the other side of the sea? Because they saw the one boat that the disciples entered, and they knew Jesus didn't go in that boat. Does that mean he, like, sped walked, like, like speed walked, all sped walked? I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Does it mean, like, he was speed walking around the Sea of Galilee, like, around the, the top of it, so he could get to back to where Capernaum was? Uh, anyways, they're just confused, right? And obviously, for obvious reasons, because he didn't. He walked on the sea. Again, I'm seeing parallels here, not necessarily walking on the sea, but how the nation of Israel walked through the sea, uh, through the Red Sea. Uh, interesting uh, sort of parallel there. Uh, 
Oh, you're stretching it. I, yeah, I get it. <laughs> That's a bit of a stretch. I get it. Um, but um, still kind of a similar thing. Um, they're confused about how he could do this and about why he's there. So their question is, Rabbi, when did you come here? <laughs> like, How did you get to this back to Capernaum? What? Jesus answered them and said, like he frequently does, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate at the loaves and were filled. You guys are hungry. You saw me because you're, you're seeking me because I fed you, I gave you food. Sometimes I don't like how direct Jesus can be with me. But he can be very direct with me as he's addressing issues in my life. And he's very direct with them. Because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now he's going to launch into this teaching about how he is the bread from heaven. Because he's telling them, work not just for the the bread that fills your stomach, but work for, for this bread that leads to eternal life. For this food, not just for food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Please listen to those words, which the Son of Man will give you. The food that doesn't perish, that endures to everlasting life. These are his promises to us. Cling to them. I want you to have a solid foundation, my friends. I don't want you to be tossed around (laughs) like riding a roller coaster based on your emotions or based on hype or based on circumstances. Then they said to him, verse 28, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? For years I saw these particular, this particular set of verses in a certain way. And I'm going to share with you a little different idea. And I wonder that maybe I was wrong in the past. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. For a long time, I thought the people they're asking, what can we do so that we can do like you're doing? You're doing the works of God. What can we do so that we can do the works of God? Um, And Jesus' response, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. I took that as Jesus saying, you want to do the work of God? Well, here's the one work of God that you can do. Believe on him whom he sent. That's it. And, of course, there's some truth to that reality, right? That's that's what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to trust him, right? <laughs> right? But I'm thinking that maybe Jesus is actually saying something different. Their question is, what do we need to do so that we can do the works of God? The works, plural, of God. Jesus' response is way over that. It's so much higher And I think it echoes what Ephesians chapter 2 says. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, he made alive. That's the work of God. It is God who is working in you. I think that's what he's saying. 
Their question is, what do we need to do so that we can do God's works? Jesus' response is, God is working in you. This is God's work. This is what he is doing, that you believe in him. That you believe in him whom he sent. And by the way, this is what John says is the summary of why he's writing this book. When we get to near the end of it, he's going to say, I'm writing this so that you'll believe. So that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> and so that in believing him, you'll have eternal life. Like John's very plain about why he's writing what he's writing. And I think this is so wonderfully freeing because it reminds me to rest. This is God's work. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, he made alive together with him and seated you together with him in the heavenly places in the Messiah Jesus. How much of that did you do? None. What do dead bodies do? Nothing. They lay there dead. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, he made alive. And Jesus somehow still uses the the announcing of this great news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead. And sometimes he gives life to people as they hear the message. They believe him. And you're like shocked by it. Like, what? Because this is what he's done for me and for you and what he's still doing in our world. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? Still looking for a sign. What si- if you really are who you are saying you are, then show us a sign and then we'll believe you. What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And, and we treat God the same way. God, if you really want me to do this, show me a sign now. And we, we, um, um, <laughs> we use uh, uh, the story from the book of Judges as the the, the example of that, right? Um, the story of the setting the fleece out, right? And we're like, he didn't believe the Lord, right? Like he didn't trust him. He He's like, prove it again and again and again. You know, we're like, the amazing thing is that God is so incredibly merciful that God, God continually met him where he was. But... <clears throat> He's still merciful to us. I don't want to move away from the reality that he's teaching me to trust him. What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay? Do you get what they're saying? They're saying, you need to prove that you're really from God, like Moses proved that he was from God. Moses gave our fathers bread from heaven to eat. So you give us something. You show us. that you're re- You give us a sign. Never mind that he had just fed 5,000 people with a couple of barley loaves and a couple of fish, or five barley loaves and some fish, right? They're like, prove it, you know. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses, I'm going to do a lot of reading here. I really want you to just be listening, be, be, be soaking up the words and considering them. Frankly, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of explanation that needs to be given. I just think we need to listen. So I'm going to do my best. You guys know I'm not very good at that, so at keeping my mouth closed. So Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. (laughs) That's where they were wrong. They thought it was actually Moses who gave it to them. It wasn't Moses. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. The I am statements of Jesus are remarkable. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, except through me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. He who lives and believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet don't believe. I think this is where Jesus gets into the reality of God's sovereignty. You've seen me and you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Let that comfort your heart. If you hear his voice and you come to him, he will not cast you out. That is such good news. <laughs> no matter how messed up you are, <laughs> no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, valuable and precious you are to him. You hear his voice, you come to him. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Do you hear that? Jesus says this is God's will, that all that the Father gives him, he won't lose any of them. He will raise them up at the last day. Oh, there's a coming day of resurrection. <laughs> Jesus says, this is the will of the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I just want you to believe him. Do you hear his voice? This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Because I know that you're dealing with some stuff in your life right now, guys, that is discouraging or disappointing or heartbreaking, because it's true for all of us. Don't lose sight. Don't lose hope. This is temporary. It doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. It indeed matters much. But it's not all that matters. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? They're like confused. Wait a minute. How did he come down from heaven? We know his mom and dad. They didn't really know his dad. <laughs> right? You guys know that story, right? <laughs> Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Don't murmur among yourselves. <laughs> this is something Christians can be very guilty of a lot, right? We like to murmur among ourselves. Murmur, 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 murmur complain and whine and whatever about things not going how we want and 
about this thing being messed up or that thing not working or whatever. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I'm sorry, did you hear him? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. My goodness, there is a lot of confidence in the words of Jesus. Um, I want to be more confident in his words, too. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Um, Certainly, this is reminiscent of the Jeremiah 31 uh, promise of the new covenant. Um, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Something true of everyone in that new covenant. Isaiah 54.13, though, also says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. It is written in the prophets, Jesus said, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Do you hear that? Everyone who has uh, heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, by the way, which is incredibly offensive to all the Jews listening. (laughs) Um, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal Everlasting life. Now. Not one day you'll enter into everlasting life. Now. You have eternal life now. This is why Jesus says, The one who lives and believes in me, though he should die, yet he shall live. Because you're not really dying. As it's been said, I believe with great confidence that my last breath out here will become the next moment, my first breath in eternity. And whatever that intermediate state is, (laughs) that spiritual state until the resurrection, (laughs) I suppose we won't need breath. (laughs) Maybe we'll be breath, that is spirit. This is something I believe by faith. I believe it because... Jesus said it to be true, and I'm just choosing to believe what he's told me. The only only basis for this belief is the words of Jesus. But that is the basis for my belief, is that Jesus said it to be true. And so at the end of the day, I'm challenged by the question of whether or not I, I trust him, whether or not I believe him. And I don't mean that in some kind of you know, guilt-driven sense. I mean that in just the reality of saying, um, who am I believing? Because I need to be aware of the reality that we're frequently confronted by a world system and ideology that knows nothing of God, that is, that is not confident in the words of Jesus. And, and that's being pressed against us by the community around us that doesn't know the Lord, that doesn't know him. I want to be so thoroughly saturated in 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 what Jesus taught um, that I can combat those false ideas that cause me to question Him, that cause me to doubt His words. 
but I'm also aware of this very plain reality. Sometimes that comes down to the way I choose to manage my time. <laughs> and whether or not I'm giving him time. We have a lot of privileges here. A lot of privilege in our time, in our day, guys. So I just uh, want to remind you again, as I need to be reminded um, of that reality, that um, I want to use that well. I don't want to squander what God has given to us in our days. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. I love that. They're like, show us a sign. Our fathers ate the, the, the manna. Moses gave us a sign. They ate the bread in the wilderness. And Jesus is like, yeah, they ate the bread in the wilderness. And they're all dead. <laughs> like, what are you? I'm the bread from heaven, right? Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh. Whew. Literally, it's it's sarks. It's the it's meat. It's talking about meat. <laughs> this the, the bread that I give is is my meat. <laughs> which I shall give for the life of the world is my, my, my flesh, my body, right? There's a different word that, that means like the body and its totality and all that we are. Our soma is that word. Uh, this word mean, is a reference to your, the physical like flesh part of your body, your muscle, flesh of your body. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now they're arguing. Wait a minute. How's he going to give us his meat? How's he going to give us, he's going to like cut his arm off and give us like some of the arm meat, you know? I don't know. Verse 53, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. I like this. It's very, very close to like a, um, a, a syllogism. He's like, if then kind of thing, like, because this is true, because these premises are true. This conclusion is therefore true. Uh, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. There's nothing to add to that. The only thing that I can do is ask you if you believe him. Because I want you to believe him and I want to believe him more. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, as if he couldn't remind them enough, <laughs> and are dead. <laughs> So like plain, uh, he who eats this bread will live forever. Now he's contrasting, obviously. What they were looking for was a sign from heaven. Give us bread. Our fathers ate the bread in the wilderness, right? Now he's contrasting that reality. Yes, they ate the bread and they're dead. But I'm the bread that has come from heaven. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Everyone who hears my voice comes to me and I won't cast them out. I mean, these are definitive statements of God's sovereignty and of God's calling, of God's choosing. 
and of God's ability to keep us. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. I love that John just adds that, oh, by the way, this teaching was actually in a synagogue. <laughs> this, would, this would not get him many fans amongst the Jews. Therefore, many of his disciples, verse 60, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? So Jesus immediately responded and said, hey, I was just kidding, guys. Let me make it easier for you because I want to have lots of followers and draw big crowds of people. He didn't do that. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then? If you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before. He's like, what? how's this going to affect you? Guess what? They did. <laughs> right? They are eventually going to see the Son of Man ascend. Right? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Please listen to that. Oh, because sometimes people get it in their minds that what Jesus is saying is that if you don't, that the communion is his physical body and his actual blood. And if you don't actually take those elements into you, then you have no life in you. Listen to what he's saying here in this teaching. The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit who gives life. He told them, unless you eat my flesh. And now he's saying, it's not the physical thing. It's not that. It's a spiritual thing that he's teaching them. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there's some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who didn't believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Oh, guys. No one can come to me unless it has been granted by my father. One of the people following Jesus didn't believe him. Later on, the text is going to say, Jesus is going to say he's a devil. (laughs) (laughs) Among other things, it's important to remember that just because someone says they follow Jesus doesn't mean they really are. Because someone gathers with the church doesn't mean they're really following Jesus. Churches have become adept at giving us lots of reasons to gather that have nothing to do with following Jesus. And have a lot to do with being a part of a community and being accepted and and having a good time. And there, there are good things about those things. But the difficulty is that we can get all of that stuff and still miss Jesus. And not know him. And have no real relationship to him. I'm vividly aware that there are many uh, better than me at these things. Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Jesus seems to be confident. This is where I want to summarize this, and then we'll move on real quickly. We're almost done. It's, we're late, I know. Um, Jesus seems to be incredibly confident 
that God is able to work in the lives of the people around him and that it really is God's work to do so. I'm ashamed to admit that sometimes I have a hard time believing that. Sometimes I think it depends on me a lot. Maybe some of that is because sometimes I don't see the results that I want to see. And I can't blame God for that. That has to be my fault. Right? Therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That is... Heartbreaking. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. <laughs> that always settles it for me. Like, Jason, you going to turn from the Lord? I'm like, Peter, like, where else am I going to go? Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Like, what? Why would I go somewhere else? <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Messiah. This is just beautiful. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you as a devil? You know, I wish Jesus would really learn not to be so negative. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, the best way to live your life is just to be positive, right? Don't talk about negative things. I'm so glad Jesus doesn't care about any of our stupid advice. (laughs) Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you as a devil? (laughs) That's brutal, man. And and now, if you're in the group, right, you're part of the group, you're like, wait, what? (laughs) And and then you're like, is it, they're going to ask later on at dinner, they're going to say, is it me, is it me, is it me? I wonder if this is a time period where they're like, who is it? Hmm. And they're like looking around at each other. Like, <laughs> or maybe this went over their heads. Remember a lot of the things Jesus said, at least the moment he said them, a lot of things for the disciples went right over their heads until when? Until later on when they had the spirit given to them. When the spirit was given to them, then they were like, probably like, oh, right? Because the Holy Spirit began to teach them the things that uh, Jesus had already taught them, began to give them understanding, right? <laughs> One of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of those twelve. Um, what shall I say about all these things? Only this. Jesus seems to be very confident in the work of God and the people around him. And I think that's really good. And I think I could I could learn a lot from that. To trust the Lord. Spend time, guys, as you're reading, spend time meditating on the scriptures. Let the word of God soak down deep into your heart. Uh, next week we're going to look at uh, chapter seven. Uh, if you if you're not able to make it next week, um, we'll be. Uh, you can listen on online. The benefit of listening online, among other things, is that you can speed me up. 
right? <laughs> so you're like, oh, it's an hour long. Okay, cool. We'll do this in like 45 minutes, right? To me, like time and a half, whatever. <laughs> you can be done. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace, you guys. Love you, love you very much. Um, uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, and uh, if you can stay and hang out,